Brian Smith here, and welcome to the Dream Path Podcast, where I try to get inside the heads of talented creatives from all over the world. My goal is to demystify and humanize the creative process and make it accessible to everyone. Now let's jump in. Jason Moore, welcome to the Duocast, my friend. Thank you, Brian. I'm happy to be here once again. We're here to recap the Rikaze Topshi and Shandine Tome episode. What'd you think of that chat? Well, the chat was great. I mean, Rika and Shandine are such a great team. Uh, you can tell that they work together very well. You know, just the film's premise and just the quality of the film itself is a testament to not only Rika and Shandine's ability to co-direct and work together, but it also, to me, says a lot about Sam Davis's approach to shooting and editing the film. Agreed. And when I say film, I mean actual film. I believe they said they shot it with uh, 16 millimeter film instead of digital. Old school. Yeah, old school. I mean, and as they said, you got to be a, a bit more precious with what you're shooting with film. Yeah. Can't just let it roll 24-7 like digital. I mean, film is expensive. Digital is practically free depending on what you're using to shoot it with. But, you know, you have the cost of SD cards or thumb drives or something like that, which can be pretty pricey. But, you know, I looked it up and it's like a 400 foot roll of brand new 16 millimeter film. It's going to run you about 100 to 125 bucks. And that gives you about 11 minutes of footage. So, wow, you can understand why they were kind of precious about that. But the beautiful thing about film is just the way it looks. I think it's softer. You know, the tone of the film is softer, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. And I think it really comes through in the finished product. It's a great film with a great story about ceremonial tradition. I think it was a good choice to pick film. And I wish I had more knowledge about film versus digital. All I have is basically a layperson's understanding of what I see being shot digitally. Mm -hmm. And pretty much every show that I see on television is shot digitally. And that look is a very crisp, bright, almost hyper real look that is kind of jarring at first. I think we're all used to it now, mm -hmm. watching television shows and movies shot digitally. Right. But when you compare it to film, there is a softness to film that I appreciate. And it makes it seem more cinematic when you use film. I know that's kind of a vague word to use, cinematic. But when I see a digitally shot project, it almost seems like it's so real that you're actually there looking at these people uh, almost too close. Like you're seeing on close-ups of faces, you're seeing the, uh, the, because it's such high resolution, you see the flaws, you know, you'll see zits on people's faces and wrinkles and mm -hmm. it's kind of shocking <laughs> yep. not that there's anything wrong with real humanity and seeing you know the the good the bad and the ugly about everything that makes us human but i really do think that there's something special and magical about film it's just not feasible to use film in projects it's too expensive it's unwieldy it's uh, probably harder to edit i guess they digitize it before they edit it but Oh, okay. Yeah. My, my guess is that they're not editing the old school way. They're digitizing the film and then editing. Otherwise, they're going to be literally cutting the film and clipping it Yeah, like they did you know, back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. Yep. I, it reminds me of uh, you know, digital audio recording as well. You know, In the old days, you'd record it on tape. If you had to edit the tape, you'd have to chop up the tape and there was no digital to transfer to, so you were left with what you were left with. And right. nowadays, it's funny because you have all of this digital recording stuff that it sounds awesome, 
but people purposely go back and put filters on it to make it sound older or to make it sound warmer or make it sound less, Hmm. you know, less crisp. Right. And, uh, you know, I think the same thing goes with film. There are film filters or video filters you can use on digital media to make it look more dull or more soft or Mm -hmm. give it kind of an older looking feel instead of that super high definition where it's, you know, you zoom in and you can see the pores of their skin and it's kind of like, whoa. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 That's what I meant to say is the pores of the skin are what you see more than like the zits or the (laughs) the flaws that I was mentioning before. But it is, it's weird to see the pores of someone's skin. It's like, that shouldn't be featured. That shouldn't be part of <laughs> the visual experience to see every little aspect of their skin and little hairs <laughs> sticking out, uh, little mustache hairs. But going back to Rika and Shandine, it was really nice to see Rika again. This is her third time on the podcast. She's an OG original guest. That's right. She was responsible, in my opinion, for giving this podcast gravitas and credibility right out of the gate as the second guest on the show, right after she won the Academy Award for period end of sentence, which is still streaming on Netflix, by the way. Uh, But she was so kind to welcome me into her apartment without knowing me. We just had a mutual connection, Tanin Jahambani, who was a friend of Whitney's from college. Mm -hmm. And here we are three years later talking to Rika about another project that she has at Sundance Film Festival called Long Line of Ladies with Shandine that she co-directed. It's nice to come full circle with her and have her show up like this, talking about such a special, important project. And also uh, pretty exciting that she's going from Sundance, which was all online Mm -hmm. this year, unfortunately, because of the pandemic. They canceled the in-person experience at the last minute in Park City. But at South by Southwest, where she's going to be showing the film next with Shandine, That is going to be a face-to-face, in-person experience, and how exciting for them to be able to show up in Austin with this film and experience everything that Austin and South by Southwest has to offer. They're going to be seeing so many opportunities down the road because of the good work that they're doing on this film, and they're just really talented people. Shandine Tome hails from Albuquerque, New Mexico, beautiful area of the state. I actually spend a lot of time there for work. And it was nice to see them work together on this because Rika brings to the table a lot of experience, obviously, with her Academy Award-winning work on Period End of Sentence and other films. And Shandine brought the perspective of an indigenous filmmaker to the project. Mm -hmm. And she's way more than that. So I don't want to categorize her as an indigenous filmmaker. She is a filmmaker, period. And she's talented across the board. But the fact that she is Native American and is part of the Navajo tribe I think informed the storytelling experience for both of them. And so she comes in with this unique perspective as someone who has had coming of age ceremonies and has experience with that in her own tribe. And she's able to translate that into empathy for the Karuk tribe and this Ihuk ceremony that these young girls go through that was resurrected after 120 years of being dormant in Northern California. Yeah, it's a very good film, very well done. So. Kudos to uh, Rika and Shandine. Well said, my friend. So Jason, I wanted to tell you about 
how the interview with Bill Oakley went. Oh, yeah. I talked to him this week. That's right. And I don't think I had a chance to really share with you what that experience was like. I had no idea what to expect going into this with Bill. Mm -hmm. Uh, He is another Simpsons writer. You may remember Michael Price. Oh, yeah. And that interview. Yep. And Michael has been on The Simpsons since the early 2000s, and he's still on that team. And an incredible chat and a lot of wisdom to impart. So talking to Bill, who predates Michael Price on The Simpsons, he actually came in in the early 90s and was a showrunner for seasons seven and eight, I believe, Hmm. on The Simpsons. What was so interesting about this chat was that we really got into some detail that I've never talked about before with writers, and that is royalties and residuals Hmm. and how writers get paid and how writers for animation get paid and how that has changed over the years and advice to writers, very practical advice on how to get shit done, how to create an environment at home or wherever your workspace is to allow you to write without distraction, to force you to write without distraction. Because I have very specific particular problems with regard to distractions and social media feeds and that type of thing. Yeah. So we got into a lot of really interesting advice, basically, about how to be a writer and how to break into the industry and how he got into the industry. Just like all of our guests, he has an interesting path into the world of animated writing. And it turns out that there is a fairly big divide between the folks that write for live action shows and films and those who write for animation. And we talk about that and why. But it was also fun to learn about Bill's side projects. He has an Instagram channel that you should check out if you haven't already, where he reviews fast food. Hmm. That kind of sounds strange, but if you look at the channel, it's really fun to watch these reviews. They're short, they're earnest, they're genuine. This is a guy who loves food just generally Mm -hmm. and has turned it into a very popular channel on Instagram. And so he'll pick up, for instance, a Santa Fe chicken sandwich at Carl's Jr. Mm -hmm. And he'll be sitting in his car eating it as we do, fast food junkies, (laughs) and uh, he'll review it. And talk about the pros and the cons of, you know, the price of the sandwich and how big it is and how much flavor it has and, you know, all the way down to the chew. And he's a really interesting guy. And this actually has turned into something beyond just a hobby for him. He just finished writing season three for Close Enough on HBO Max, another animated show for adults. Okay. But this side gig of doing Instagram reviews of fast food has resulted in him being invited onto shows like Somebody Feed Phil mm. and also various shows on the History Channel and you know Food Network. He's a really generous guy to share his wisdom with us. And I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts on it after you edit that episode. Oh yeah, me too. He's down in Portland, right? He is. And we talked about Portland too. Yeah. That's another thing I asked him about. I said, Bill, from the news, it sounds like you're living in a zombie apocalypse down there. What the fuck is <laughs> happening? But yeah, we talked about the reality versus what's being portrayed on the media in Portland. Right. So that was a fun chat. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that, Brian. That's something that I would love to do uh, is just eat food, do reviews. and But that's a, that's a dangerous, slippery slope for me, man. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think I'll be eating any fast food anytime soon, especially like Carl's Jr., McDonald's, all that crap. It honestly isn't good for you, man. Really? I've never heard that before. <laughs> no, it's healthy. It's healthy food. <laughs> There's a, a scene in a Woody Allen movie 
called, I think it's called The Sleeper or Sleeper. Mm. I don't know if you've ever seen that before. No. But Woody Allen, and I hate to even invoke his name because of all of the things that have happened over the last decade with the sexual abuse allegations. Oh, yeah. Against Woody Allen by his daughter. Yep. But there is a scene from Sleeper where it's the future. Basically, there's robots and there's spaceships and Woody Allen is offered a cigarette and he says, no, I'm trying to quit. It's bad for my health. And the person who offers him the cigarette says, what are you talking about? It's the best thing for you. <laughs> and so, um, you know, the whole point of that scene was, you know, what we think is bad for us today, it turns out to be good for you, you know, 10 years from now. <laughs> I could have gotten the, the characters mixed up. It could have been Woody Allen offering the cigarette in that scene. But Jason, on a more serious note, it's hard to ignore. I know we try to stay out of the news and yeah. and not talk about negative topics, but have you been following the, the Russian-Ukrainian situation? I have, yeah. I, I check on it every day. I uh, you know, I, I've been trying to stay away from the news, but you can't help it when it comes to something as tragic as what is going on in Ukraine right now with Russia. It's it's just, it's sad. Yeah, it's, it's hard to ignore when you see scenes played in real time mm -hmm. that involve families being murdered and wiped out yep. through acts of war. It's just awful. And I think Everybody agrees, no matter what political party you're part of, that what Putin is doing right now is insane. There's some people that are like, oh, you know what? He's just protecting his own interests and he's not such a bad guy. And yeah, right. you know, I won't get into who's saying that and what my feelings are about those folks. But my takeaway from what I've seen so far is that there are horrific things happening in Ukraine that don't seem to have any easy solutions. Mm-mm. And the solutions that make the most sense to me would trigger World War III potentially and nuclear nuclear weapons being involved and mm -hmm. launched at other countries, including the United States. Right. It's really kind of a helpless, hopeless feeling to have. It's very upsetting. And I just worry about our kids, basically. I, I worry about not when I say our kids, I mean the kids of the world. Mm -hmm. You know, what are they seeing right now? What is what is their future like? Right. What is the future of folks in Europe mm -hmm. who are near this conflict and are worried that they're going to be invaded next or they're going to have missiles launched at them by Russia? Mm -hmm. I don't know what to say about it. I don't even know if it's appropriate to bring up in a dual cast like this, but I felt like I had to say something about it because it's so profoundly upsetting that it almost seems absurd to talk about the lighthearted topics that we bring up in this dual cast without at least acknowledging the darkness and the existential dread that we're all feeling because of the situation in Ukraine. Yeah, it's true. You know, it's a conflict that has been going on over there for over a hundred years. You know, back when Vladimir Lenin was in power during the old Soviet Union days, there was a four-year war between the Soviet Union and the Ukraine, which was known as the Ukrainian War of Independence, which led to the fall of Ukraine and uh, Ukraine being absorbed into the Soviet Union. And that lasted like 70 years up until the end of the Cold War back in 91. So mm -hmm. there's always been this tension there. And then, you know, the fact that Putin has done this before, he did this back in 2014, he invaded uh, Ukraine and took Crimea. And now this fucking shit, you know, he's, he's such a fucking dickhead, Putin, I swear, starts this unprovoked attack on the people of Ukraine, making all kinds of false reasons for doing so in order to try to justify the war. And, you know, in my opinion, uh, guys like Putin, they need to be put on trial for war crimes. 
and if found guilty, which he most definitely would be, should be executed. We don't need to stand for this shit anymore. Well, you are far more knowledgeable on the history of that region than I am. The only thing that I could really identify with after you recited all of the history there was Putin is a real dickhead <laughs> and needs to be taken out. Yeah. Uh, I totally agree with that, and I'm on board with that. And I really hope that a miracle happens and this thing ends. I'm not a big, a magical thinker, and I don't think there's any easy solution, and there's probably not going to be a miracle. Mm -mm. But I, I'm really hoping every day I wake up, I, I look at my Twitter feed, and I make sure Zelensky's okay. Mm -hmm. He's kind of emerging in this whole thing as this hero, this heroic figure. Right. Pretty amazing to see him sticking around and not fleeing the country like a lot of leaders would do under these circumstances. Ted Cruz. <laughs> he'd be in Cancun. You know, you know he'd be in Cancun. In a heartbeat. Yeah. Well, thanks for talking to me about it, Jason. It feels good to connect with someone about something I feel strongly about. Yeah. And if anybody wants to help the children and the people of Ukraine, you can donate at unicefusa.org. There are other organizations that are taking donations. You know, just, just Google it. I'm sure there are plenty of places that are out there to help. Thanks for that, Jason. You bet. So, Jason, going back to something a little more lighthearted. Yeah. I know you've been working on a lot of music lately, oh. and you send me clips here and there and give me updates on what you're working on. Uh -huh. What is the latest with you on the music that you're writing and recording? Oh, that's a good question. I'm, you know, I'm working on quite a few projects, actually, and I've, you know, I've given a couple of samples on here a while back. I think you remember the Fractal Jazz stuff I was working on. Yeah, trippy. Yeah, it's, it's still in the works. It's kind of on the back burner right now. Currently, I'm finishing up a synth album that I produced. The project is called Chemical Prototype. The album is titled Circuitry, and I'm currently making a video for the first single, Astronaut, Astral People, which I'm hoping to have done soon. I'd like to have the single and the video out in April, and the album released sometime in May. That's, that's kind of the goal. And um, I also have a couple of unfinished projects on the back burner. My Nucleus project that I started back in 2015, where I was collaborating with a couple of different producers and beat makers all over the world, uh, we all kind of hooked together on this uh, website called looperman.com. And also some of my solo stuff, which varies in genre. So I have a lot going on. I've got a lot to sift through and a lot to do. You know, getting a project finished is one thing, but then there's, you know, getting it released, getting it distributed on streaming platforms and possibly having CDs printed. It's a lot of work. But uh, for anyone that's interested in keeping track, you can go to my website, gemstonemedia.com with a J. Uh, I'll be on Twitter under the handle at gemstonemedia2, Instagram at gemstone49, and you can find me on YouTube. You'll have to look for me on there as Gemstone Media and Sound, because there's a guy on there under the same name, Gemstone Media with the J, who talks about shoes. So I'm not, exa <laughs> I'm not exactly sure how that works, but... Uh, and the, and the goal, the end goal is I will finally get my stuff up on bandcamp.com, which is like the indie label platform for everyone now. So yeah, that's where Mark Pickerel is. Yeah. Yeah. That's where a lot of, right. If you're not on a major label, you're probably on Bandcamp. Mm -hmm. So Gemstone, just to make sure listeners know where to find you, Gemstone is spelled with a J. Yes. J-E-M-S-T-O-N-E media.com. Right on brother. We'll have to make sure to put all of the links to your Bandcamp, your music video, all of your music, and put it up in a blog post on the website as soon as it's available. I would appreciate that. Well, Brian, I know you've been working on projects too. You told me that you were working on some screenplays. 
Yeah, I've got a few in progress, and I've had a few in the works over the years, but I've taken some steps to move those forward recently. I'm working on a a short script horror film right now, a couple of feature-length screenplays, and I'm getting into the groove, so to speak, and really looking forward to shifting my creativity into this realm, which is the world of film. Mm -hmm. It's pretty exciting for me. I just don't know how I'm going to find the time to do it, but it's important to me. And just like anything in life, when it's important enough to you personally, you're going to find a way to make it happen. Absolutely. What I'm aiming to do by the end of the year is have a short script finished, my horror film, and try to shoot it myself. I've learned a lot on this podcast about how to execute on that type of vision through talking to a lot of creatives who have done that themselves, mm-hmm. who've made short films and feature-length films, who've made horror movies, right? like Keith Thomas. Keith Thomas is a big inspiration for me with his short film, Arcane, on YouTube, and his film, The Vigil, of course, and now Firestarter, right? the remake of Stephen King's Firestarter, which will be coming out in May. Right on. So I have a lot of sources of inspiration, and I'm excited to be going in that direction. Well, do you need anybody to score your film? Well, now that you bring that up, yes, I do, Jason. Do you know anybody? (laughs) Uh, Well, I don't know. I might be able to do it. I've never done it before, but (laughs) I would love to try. Well, let's talk. All right. We'll do it. Right on. Jason, it's been a real pleasure. I guess we'll chat again after, after we play the Bill Oakley episode, and we'll do the recap for that chat. Sounds good. I'm looking forward to it, Brian. Be well, my friend. Have a great weekend. You too, brother. Hey, thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If so, I have a favor to ask. Can you go to wherever you listen to podcasts and leave me a review? Your feedback is what keeps this podcast going. You can also check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook with the handle at DreamPathPod. And as always, go find your dream path. <laughs>